Romans chapter 3. I wonder if you've ever considered how difficult it may be to define something that is commonly used, a word, a phrase, or to figure out exactly how something works, you know, uh, like television. You know how television works? I do. You turn it on. Uh, other than that, I, I, I mean, I understand transmission and reception to some extent, but, but how someone stands in front of a camera in, in, in Sydney, Australia, and it, it, you know, it appears in my living room almost instantaneously, how, how does all that work? Or even, even these phones that all of us have and carry around and can't do without. And, you know, uh, well, how does this thing work? I mean, I, I have friends in the Fiji Islands, in uh, New Zealand, in Australia. In the last uh, couple of three weeks, the death of my grandson, I've, I've gotten text messages. I've gotten phone calls. I mean, I can, I can turn this phone on and talk to my good friend who lives in Kings Langley, Australia which is a suburb of Sydney, and I, I can see him. And he sees me, probably much to his chagrin and upsetting, but anyway. Um, How does that work? I don't, I don't really understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we have it, but I don't really understand it. What about words that we use? Faith is one of the most commonly used words in the English language. What exactly is it? And if you were asked to give a definition of faith, how would you answer? I mean, if someone just comes to you and says, listen, will you just define faith for me? Or if someone asks you, what are the components of faith? What, what makes up faith? Exactly how would you answer them? One verse of scripture that most of us have memorized, and we, we know from the time we are children, uh, in the King James Version, uh, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you understand what the writer is saying there? I have to admit to you, for years I'd read that verse of Scripture and I just kind of puzzled over it. I mean, I didn't tell anybody. I mean, nobody wants some goober that don't know how TV works or at least don't want to know a preacher how faith works. You know, but really I, I looked at that and I said, well, what exactly, what does that mean? I mean, I understand the words I can read, uh, at least to some extent. And then I, I began to, as I studied the book of Hebrews and the rest of the Bible, I understood that he's saying that our faith substantiates what we hope for, thus giving us assurance that those things are true. Faith proves or gives evidence for the things we cannot see thus giving us a conviction that things that are unseen are true. So I, I, I saw this paraphrase somewhere, Hebrews 11, one, it's, it's not original with me, but I, I think it's very good, and it says this, faith makes real in our experience the promise that God has, the promises that God has given us about the future. Faith proves to us the fact that the things that we presently cannot see, God, angels, demons, heaven and hell, are very much real and very much true. In other words, faith applies the reality of God's promises and the unseen world to the present visible world. 
Faith substantiates what we hope for, thus giving us assurance that those things are true. A.W. Pink, who was a great Bible expositor of, of years ago, uses an analogy of two men standing on the deck of a ship, and they're looking out at a far horizon. And one of them sees nothing, but the other one sees a ship out on the horizon. And the difference is one of them is looking with the naked eye, and the other is looking through a telescope. Faith is the telescope that brings the future promises of God into present focus, enabling us to see them, to perceive them. So faith enables us to see the unseen world that the natural man cannot see because he is not exercising faith. In the, in the verses of our text this morning, you note immediately that faith is a very important word. Paul uses it eight times in these verses of Scripture. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In verse 22. Uh, verse 26, he justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Maintaining that one is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Verse 28, Paul concludes there is only one God. He will justify the circumcised by faith, the uncircumcised through faith. The message is clear. Faith is not a good work. Faith does not earn salvation. Faith does not put God in your debt. Uh, it, does, uh, it does not earn us anything. Nevertheless, faith is essential. And for all of those who would come into the Christian faith, then faith is essential to be saved. Uh, so, having kind of established what it is, then let's talk about what are the components of faith. Uh, I remember reading in uh, Spurgeon one time, uh, he, he was talking to a preacher who hadn't been preaching very long and didn't have much education, and he asked him what he would be preaching on that Sunday, and he gave Spurgeon his text and then said he was going to confound it. Well, he meant expound it, but sometimes we can confound things that are simple, and I hope that I'm not doing that this morning. I hope that I am expounding it for you. Faith is the simplest of all things, Spurgeon once said. It is perhaps its very simplicity that makes it so hard to comprehend if we really begin uh, to think about it. So how can we explain faith? And I, I put uh, my main idea here as kind of an explanation. Biblical faith has content. It involves the moving of the heart and a commitment of the will to trust Jesus Christ completely. So first of all, faith has content. Most Theologians divide faith into three parts. Knowledge, belief, trust. Awareness, assent, and commitment. And some will give you the Latin words for some of those. I, I, I don't know them right now. But in nearly uh, every case, the point at which they begin is knowledge of the truth. Or what I am calling content. 
faith without content is not true faith at all. Some people just have faith in faith, but they their faith has no content. Of all of the people that you read uh, on faith, uh, the great Reformation theologian John Calvin is probably strongest on this point, for he found it necessary to oppose a very serious error that had arisen in the early uh, teaching. It had developed in the, in the teaching of the medieval church. Um, in those years before the Reformation, uh, the church had been derelict in teaching the scriptures to the people. And the people did not have copies of the scriptures for themselves. And so most people were ignorant of the truth of the gospel. And most clergy were ignorant of it too. So how then were such ignorant communicants to be saved? And the church answered that it was by implicit faith. That is, it was not necessary for the faithful to know anything at all. Now, before we, uh, before we ha- poke fun at those people, much of the church today does the same thing. They, they substitute emotion for content. Emotion is important. We're going we're gonna to get to that. But as long as you're, you know, you're, you're happy and you're hollering and you're having a great time, it doesn't really matter whether you know anything or not. Their, their faith has no real content. And again, faith has to have content. There, there has to be knowledge of the truth. Uh, but the church was to be believed implicitly. And whatever the teachings of the church were, they were right. Whether the members knew that they were right or not. And they would be all right if they just believed and trusted the church. I'm reminded of a story that actually happened. I had a friend once who was serving on a pastor search committee. And they were talking to a candidate. And they, this was in the midst of the, of the conservative resurgence back in the Southern Baptist Convention some years ago. And so they asked the man what he believed, what his doctrinal beliefs were. And he said, I believe what the convention believes. And, and so they said, well, could you tell us what the convention believes? And he said, well, the convention believes what I believe. And by that time, they're becoming a bit exasperated. And so they said, well, sir, could you just tell us what you and the convention believe? And he thought a moment and he said, we believe the same thing. There you go. Well, that, that's not content. That's not knowledge of the truth. So Calvin attacked that idea of implicit faith. He argued that the object of, the faith, of faith is Christ and that faith rests upon knowledge, not upon pious ignorance. Many, I've, I've been pastoring in East Tennessee for 47 years. And many churches have a pious ignorance. As a matter of fact, I've told you before, the church is one of the few places left anywhere in our culture that ignorance is considered a virtue. And the less you know, the more spiritual you are. You know, I've told you before, you suppose that you, you get a, 
you get pain in your in your head and it's excruciating pain and you go to a doctor and he says well we're going to cut your head open we're going to do a brain surgery and whoa, whoa, whoa okay wait wait a second. where where did you get your medical degree well i don't have one i'm just going to let the lord lead me not in my head you ain't you know now i'm not saying that everyone that stands in a pulpit should have formal training but they must have training education they they must have diligently prepared themselves to come and expound the knowledge of the truth uh there's many people in the church today who are doing the same thing that was done in the middle ages they're exercising implicit faith they don't really have any content at all they have faith in faith or faith in themselves Turns out to be about the same thing. One of the greatest offenders of this in the 20th century was a man by the name of Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And he was a clergyman, ironically, in the Dutch Reformed Church, who wrote a best-selling book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And he said, you just collect uh, some scriptures from the Bible. All things are possible to him that believes. Uh, if you have faith as a grain of Mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. So he said, take these verses, memorize them, internalize them, let them sink down into your subconscious mind, and they will transform you. And so in this way, Peel says, you'll become believers in God and believers in yourself. And he says, and I quote, according to your faith in yourself, According to your faith in your job, according to your faith in God, thus far you will you get and no further. His last words are, so believe and live successfully. Believe what? Believe whom? The advice Peel gives may be excellent advice if you are a salesperson or if you're worried about doing well at, at home or at school. But it's not biblical faith. It's simply another word for optimism or for self-confidence. It has nothing at all to do with biblical faith. To anyone who thinks that faith in God is roughly the same thing as having faith in their job or success, in your, faith in yourself, that's simply not true. In the gospel, the object of faith is the all-important thing. Our faith must be in Christ. The object of your faith is extremely important. You must know who Christ is. You must know what he has done and what he promises. There's the content. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? We, we spend a lot of time here talking about the deity of Christ and how important that is that he is God come in human flesh, that he died for our sins, and that he was buried and rose again the third day, that he's ascended to the Father, where he lives to make intercession for us, that he's coming again someday to judge the living and the dead. We must know Christ. Our faith must have content. Uh, there's a necessary link then between faith and the Word of God. Consider this. Faith is defined by God's Word. That's where we know what it is. 
Faith is born of God's Word. And faith is sustained by God's Word. I know you're thinking to yourself, Brother Bob, could you expound those a little? Thank you. I believe I will. Faith is defined by God's Word. That's particularly clear here in Romans chapter 3. Paul speaks of faith after having spoken of, spoken of the righteousness of God, that is the gospel. He said the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That is the gospel. The law and the prophets bear witness to the gospel. After that he says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So in other words, the faith in Christ about which he is speaking is faith in the work of Christ that is previously revealed and explained by the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us about Jesus Christ and about his work. It has specific content. It is not nebulous. It is not some ethereal thing that just floats around in the air. In the next chapter of Romans, Paul proves that the way of salvation was disclosed to both Abraham and David. Paul says they were saved by the same faith that we are saved. And he cites Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 and Psalm 32 1 as proof of that, as evidence of it. There cannot be any true faith without the word of God. For it is in the word alone that we learn what we are to believe. Um, I, I read an article just the other day and I've, I've heard this again and again, uh, people who want to cast doubt on the Word of God say, just remember all the time that Jesus is the Word of God. Finally, Jesus is the Word of God. I could not agree more. That is absolutely true. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. But let me ask you a question. How do you know Jesus is the Word of God without this Bible? Who would tell you? Where would you find it? Jesus never created any division between himself, the living word, and the written word, the scriptures. As a matter of fact, he said heaven and earth would pass away, but not one jot nor one tittle would pass from the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, there is a permanent relationship between faith and the Word. Take away the Word and no faith will then remain. Not possible. Faith is created by God's Word. It, it is born. It is awakened in us by the Word. Apart from the Word, we are like Lazarus, dead in our transgressions as he was dead in a cold Judean tomb. What will awaken lost people from the sleep of death? Only the word of Christ. It is the word of Christ that calls us forth out of our deadness in, in our transgressions and our sins. Only the life-giving call of God can produce new life. And where is that call found? In the word of God. Not in the words of mere men or women. I have been the pastor of this church almost 35 years. I've preached through 
almost, almost preached through the Bible, all of the New Testament and a lot of the Old. I won't live another 35, I know that. But ever how long I live and ever how long I'm here, you can believe that unless I lose my mind, I'll be going through the scriptures a verse at a time. Because it is by the word of God that our faith increases, that our faith grows, that we find the strength to endure the difficult days that life brings upon us. Only by the word of God. Peter speaks of being born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Faith is sustained by God's word. The, the Bible directs us to God and his promises. And only God is strong enough to support us in this matter of salvation. If you wish to be strong in faith, if you wish to grow in faith, read the word of God. Study the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. That's how your faith is created. That is how it is sustained. That's how it's born. It is this word that will create faith. It is this word that will grow your faith. It is this word that will sustain your faith. So faith, first of all, must have content. That is the uh, initial step. That is one of the key components. The second is what I call the moving of the heart. And others have called it uh, belief. Others call it assent. Uh, the idea here is that as important as the biblical content of faith is, it is nevertheless possible to know the content intellectually and still be lost. If that content, if that knowledge has not touched you personally. An example is the devil. James tells us, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. And the devil obviously knows the word of God. He quoted out of context the word of God to Jesus on the Mount of Temptation. He knew exactly what to quote. And though, even though he twisted it, he knew it. It is possible to be able to explain salvation and not have salvation. I remember uh, uh, Dr. John Gerstner many years ago uh, hearing him uh, talk about one of his professors at Harvard give an exposition of the fifth chapter of Romans. And, and Dr. Gerstner said, he started out by saying, now here's what Paul teaches in Romans 5. And he said, he gave a brilliant exposition. He said, I would not have disagreed with anything he said. He said, he got it exactly. He, he told us exactly what Paul had said. And he said, he finished and said, of course, we don't believe a word of that. It's all bunk. No one buys into that. But he's, he knew it. So it is possible to have the content. But if there is not a moving of the heart, then biblical faith is not present. Prime example of that is John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. You remember probably the story of John Wesley. He, he uh, 
began to go to church. He began to get religious, in his own words, he said. He even came to Georgia, uh, the United States, as a missionary, and he failed miserably. And then he talks about going to a, uh, a meeting, of, of a small meeting of believers uh, in, on Aldersgate Street in London, where he heard a man reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary to the Romans. It's really a sermon. And as the man read that, Wesley said this, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, that I trusted him alone for my salvation. And a great assurance came over my soul that my sins indeed were forgiven and that I had been saved from the law of sin and death. Now some argue that Wesley had been saved before that and he just came to a knowledge of it then. That may be the case, but Wesley didn't believe that. Wesley believed that he was converted that night because he said that he had the content, he had the knowledge, but he had not given assent to it. There had not been that moving of the heart. It is essential that what has been absorbed by the mind is poured into the heart. Uh, the Word of God is not received by faith if it just flits around in the top of the brain. It must take root in the heart. Uh, faith is not merely intellectual. It involves the whole man. It involves the mind, the emotions, and the volition, or the will. And that brings us to the third point uh, of content in biblical faith. What Spurgeon calls trust. What Lloyd-Jones calls commitment, a real yielding of oneself to Christ, which goes beyond having knowledge and goes beyond being personally moved by the gospel. Uh, I mean, e either of these things, these first two things I've talked about, you can have either one of them without having, without having true biblical faith. You do understand that. I mean, you can be very, very emotional. But without the content, without the object of faith being Christ, not be saved. Or you can have it intellectually, but without the moving of the heart, without that, not be saved. The, 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 the two, the three, go together. I think we, I think we see this in uh, the case of Thomas. Uh, when he not only believed in Jesus and his resurrection. Do you remember Thomas had said, I won't believe unless I can put my fingers into the holes in his hands and his side. And when Jesus appeared to him, Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. Now he has made a commitment and is trusting Jesus Christ. Faith has joined hands with love which it closely resembles. And hope is born from that union. You kind of see this illustrated in an imperfect way, in the way a, a young man and, and woman meet and get married and fall in love. 
The first stages of their courtship correspond to that first element in faith. You get to know each other. You, you get to know who they are and what they like. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I met a little girl a few years back, and, and uh, I, first week I, I actually couldn't stand her very much, and she didn't like me either. And then uh, we went out a couple of times, and we got to know each other. Uh, and I, I found out she had the qualities I thought that would contribute to a lasting marriage. I, I really didn't think about it that way. I thought, boy, she's pretty. I like her. <laughs> and that's, a, that's the second stage. You, you, you fall in love. Corresponds to the moving of the heart. The person begins to affect you in an emotional way, in a personal way. And the final stage is commitment. You know, final, and that's, that's what happened to me. I met her, I got to know her, fell in love. Thirteen weeks after from the day I met her, I stood before a Baptist preacher. He looked at me and said, wilt thou? And so I wilted. And I've pretty much been wilting ever since. Forty-eight years now I've been wilting, you know. But there, there must be all of these things. There must be content. There must be the moving of the heart. And there must be commitment. And so the question becomes, have you done that? Have you done that? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what he has done? Do you have the right object of faith? Do you, do you love him? Have you made a commitment to him forever? Have you decided that you will trust him? You believe that he is God come in human flesh. You believe that he died for your sins. You are assured of the fact that he rose from the dead. And that when you put your trust, your faith in him, God will impute all of his righteousness to you and impute all of your sins to him. If you have not, do so now. I urge you, flee to Jesus. For he is the only one who can save. He is the only worthy object of faith. Some people say, but I'm not worthy. Of course you're not worthy. How could you ever possibly be worthy of the love of God in Jesus Christ? We're all unworthy. It is precisely the knowledge of our unworthiness that makes it possible for us to know we need a Savior. Paul says that God has shown his love for us like this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You say, well, my faith is so weak. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so is your hope and your love and everything else. But believe in Jesus. Believe on him. Read the word of God. It doesn't take strong faith to be saved, just faith. Even the weakest faith, if the object is right, is sufficient to save. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to